This is Adel Busani, and I am your host for Mending Broken Beliefs podcast. Every Monday and Thursday, we upload new episodes from incredible speakers who share their wisdom on important life lessons and their personal journeys towards living a purposeful life. Tune in on Thursdays to get my latest scoop on self-growth and new transformational life concepts. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Welcome everybody to another episode with Mending Broken Beliefs. This is Eden Busani. Today I have a very special guest with us, Michael, um, who's going to be treating us with a very special episode, our last episode of the year. It's been a crazy year and I'm so happy to be ending it with Michael giving us his story, some amazing lessons um, on how to end 2020 and how to begin your new year. So we're going to start a new year with the new you. And Michael, take it away. Why don't you introduce yourself? I will. Hi, nice to see you. I know if, if one thing we can, we can wrap our heads around is that I think people are done with 2020. <laughs> so it wasn't all bad. I mean, there was some good stuff that was going on, but um, I'm actually sitting here on Martha's Vineyard. Um, and it's the place where I landed after, uh, after a, a rather long haul with, uh, with alcoholism and prescription medication addiction. Somehow I, an- I ended up on this island and I turned into uh, a photographer. And, and somehow I started to write words with the photos and, um, and, and it became self-therapy. Um, and in fact, it was so funny because, you know, we all get I don't know if you call it nostalgic or, or just, you know, it's that annual thing. It's not like making new year's resolutions. I mean, I kind of do that, but I don't really, it's more, it's more looking back at the year and just saying, okay, what the heck happened? And, you know, look, you're, you're sitting here now. And this morning I took my camera and I got up at, at, um, six in the morning on the east coast and i decided i was going to drive to the far end of the island because i wanted to catch the full moon over the gay head light and the gay head light everybody knows because of jaws and it was in jaws and if you don't if you haven't watched jaws you must watch jaws i mean for people to come to the island i mandate that they watch jaws before they come on it's sort of like having a covid test and so you know and i thought i said okay look what you just did this is this is my 10th year of sobriety. I, I got sober July 26th of uh, 2010. So December 26th was actually 10 years in six months. And I got my picture. I got a picture of the full moon right over the gay headlight. It came out really cool. People seemed to really like it. I posted it on social media. But also, what was probably more important than the picture was, was the words, because I sat there staring out over the ocean. And I, I asked myself, I said, how did you get here? You shouldn't even be alive. How did you get here? Well, you're actually capable of looking out over the ocean and thinking about your year in retrospect. And, and, um, and so many different things swirled through my head. I said, you know what, Mike, you made it through another year without drinking or using prescription medications. I said, you have your family, it's all intact together, your 86-year-old father, you have uh, your dog and your cat and your son and your daughter and 
your significant other, your all, your, everything is just in, it really came through all the mess that we came through. Uh, but I have all that and, and I'm grateful. I, I look, I look at my year and so many people have, have said, you know, thank you for being so honest about your story because you've helped me with mine. And, and I feel like I actually made a difference in people's lives this year. And there were so many years where all I did was drag everybody down and didn't, didn't make a difference in anybody's life other than hurting them. And, and somehow by becoming a photographer and a writer, I learned how to connect to a spiritual energy um, that I felt this morning when I stared out over the ocean and I just was so grateful. I got teary eyed. I said, here we are in, in 2021 and I'm still standing. And, and then if I, you know, if God forbid I, I got hit by a lightning bolt today, uh, my life now means something. Whereas 10 years ago, it meant nothing. And, and it, it's just, a, it's just a really good feeling inside to know that in the absence of alcohol and drugs, you can actually come to a place of total peace and contentment. Um, but that was this morning, just so that people know, we all have the drunk log, right? But I, I don't want to focus on that because I think that's that, you know, looking in the rear view mirror, the only the only usefulness I think of that is that there's a lot of folks like me um, back then that said, okay, that's fine. You're sober, but you don't know what my life is like. You don't know how bad I had it. Uh, and, and so I, I was a businessman. I, I ran companies. I, my last job, I ran a company with a thousand people and I didn't have any creativity. And in that context, I, I was a marathon runner and I think I got kind of hooked on the endorphins and the endorphins. I ran in 15 marathons and I was very, I was pretty good at it. And I moved up the ladder and eventually as my body wore down, alcohol became more a part of my, my daily life. And in the end, uh, back in 2010, I was arrested three times in three months for drunk driving. I just completely uh, fell apart. And I purchased 100 Xanax on the internet and I said, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. And as I was consuming those the pills with the alcohol, I was caught and I was sent off to a psychiatric hospital. And, um, I was there for two weeks. My, you know, basically everything was kind of gone. I mean, you can't just get arrested three times in three months for drunk driving. There's jail, there's all kinds of things. And basically the life that, that you knew sort of instantaneously was gone. And, and, um, and I didn't want to be around, but I, I was laying in the bed and I think this is so important for people, you know, tonight I got messages from people about what I wrote this morning about my experience on, on the beach. And people said, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. I need a nudge. Tell me, what can I do? I'm losing hope that I'm ever going to be able to get back from depression or alcoholism. And what happened with me is when I was in the psychiatric hospital, just ready to give up the, there was a man there and he was the medical director of the psych hospital. And he saw me laying in the bed and he came into the room and he sat and he said, listen, I need to talk to you. And he pulled up a chair and he looked me in the eye and he said, I used to be you. He said, I, 
was admitted to the health system hospital here with a blood alcohol of 600 at one point, and I was on life support. And the, the company stayed behind me, and they sent me to a rehab, and I made it back, and I think you can make it too. And in that moment, there was a man looking, he was willing to share something you would never expect coming out of a physician's mouth, never mind a, a medical director. And he essentially let me know that um, he was authentic. And for the first time in my life, I, I cannot, I, you know, you can't just say, oh, okay, wow. All right, I'll get better now. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. But what was cool about it is that it changed my energy or, or my, it changed me just a slight bit. And so I, it gave me something to look at and, and that maybe I, maybe I could keep going forward. And, and, you know, what was, um, what ended up being just a moment, he ended up talking the administration at, at the healthcare system to not fire me. Can you imagine how many chief operating officers in the world have three drunk driving arrests in three months and are still employed? And I ended up starting to claw my way back with no license and a lot of things gone. And, um, and, and somehow uh, I had to come to grips with with facing all the demons and I wanted to just run away and, and, but I ended up going back to that job and staying in it for another eight years. And I was able to, you know, really, I think one of the biggest learnings that I had was that how do you, how do you repair damage? I mean, you're part of your, your show here is mending, you know, broken fences and, and mending broken beliefs and men, mending broken beliefs, fences. And, you know, and I mean, I know that it's, I mean, I basically had, I had a belief system that said that I was a bad person and I had to try to uh, overcome that. But I also had individuals in my life that had given up all hope and I had to somehow convince them after rehab that I was actually a changed individual. But I think, you know, we're, we're all a village here in the alcohol and the recovery space. And uh, my little niche uh, is is to is to recover from the disease by using art uh, in my case photography as I was trying to make it back from uh, from all the damage done I, I listened to a speech one night of a woman who was telling some graduate students on how to find their passion and she described a bipolar alcoholic businessman who found connection and joy and peace uh, in the taking and the editing of photographs. And I was zoned out for 90% of that speech, but for that moment, I heard that. And I really do believe that if I didn't hear that story, I would have never picked up a camera because I didn't even know how to use one. But I said, you know, it describes me. I was di diagnosed with bipolar depression and, and um, you know, what the heck, I got nothing to lose. My life's kind of mediocre. I was sober two, three years at that point. It was kind of like, ah. And so I decided that I would, you know, try to look into it. And one thing led to another. I got myself self-trained and, and um, I started taking some pretty decent pictures. So of course my ego said, oh, I'm going to prove to the world how good of a photographer I am right now. And so I used to put pictures on Facebook and people would like them. And of course I said, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And, and I'd keep, 
taking more and more pictures and posting them. And then after a while, I realized that this, it wasn't about the taking the pictures. It was when I would go back and look at a photograph, I would, I would take pictures that have like, you know, lightning and dark contrasts and waves crashing. And, but there would always be a little bit of light peeking through. And I, and I kept looking at him and I'd look at other artists and say, why aren't, why are they not taking pictures like this? They're taking black and white or smooth scenes and things laid out in, in softness. And Mike, you're out there looking for the biggest storms and the crashing waves and, and the most dramatic pictures you can possibly take. And then I finally came to the conclusion that that's what was in my brain. And I was trying to emulate what my thoughts were. I, I, my style became my, the, the noise and the chaos in my head. And I found that when I took those pictures and I went back home and I sat and I looked at them, so many thoughts came to mind that probably would have never come up if I didn't take those few moments to think about it. And, and what I was able to do is to express, I would then write words down. I would say, okay, Mike, you're looking at this picture. What does this mean to you? This was the time when you you know, when you were ready to end it and suddenly, you know, light shine through and this is what you did and whatever. And I would record on pieces of paper all the thoughts that came to my mind as I looked at the photographs and I did the edits in the, in my office. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to come out of the closet and I'm tired of having a bag over my head and you know, not, I, I just, I'm tired of lying about who I am. And I want people to know, even as a chief operating officer, that I'm a recovering alcoholic and that my life means something. And I want to help other people that are feeling stigma and shame and everything else. And so I started to, on social, whoever would have thought Facebook would have become my diary. But on a daily basis, I would take pictures, I would have all the stuff inside that I would write down on a piece of paper. And then I would put the picture and the words on Facebook. And I got to tell you, I just did what I thought I needed to do, but I had friends that were absolutely shocked <laughs> about what I was doing. And especially people in the, a lot of people in the recovery community, I, I got all kinds of mixed feedback because people Back then, 10 years ago, recovery was kind of underground. You were in the rooms. You only had a first name. You didn't, you know, and it's, it's like people were looking at me and saying, what is it you're trying to do? Why are you doing this? And it, it hurt. Sometimes it hurt because, you know, Mother Teresa once said, you know, um, if you do good, some may accuse you of, of having other reasons for doing the good, but do good anyway. And I decided I was going to write a book to tell my story because I wanted to get the word out about photography and self-healing using these images and photos that you can take. And when I started, when I published the book, I had people come up to me and say, we don't like people making money off the program. And I'd say, what? What are you talking about? That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying, you don't make money on books. It has nothing to do with the money. I'm a CEO. But I want the world to know that there's a, a path to healing addiction and through, through the passion that you develop in, in, in your life through, you know, if it's playing music or if it's 
taking a picture or painting a picture or whatever it is. There's a way to get stuff out of your soul that's been dragging you down by expressing yourself through the through this creative process. And I want more people to know about it. And so I wrote the book called Fighting for My Life. And it, it uh, was in 2014. And uh, it was just the, the dump of all the stuff and the hurt that I created and how about my life. But then I attached lessons to pictures and the book did amazing. And we sold out all 3000 copies and it was used in group therapy. It was used in meetings. They would take the lessons that were talked about in there on, on whether it's forgiving yourself or, or um, making amends or whatever it is. Lots of folks use the, the actual book because I, I don't have any attention span whatsoever. And so, you know, give me a book that has a picture and like a couple of paragraphs and I'm good. And I can read that and then I can put the book down and I don't have to worry about it all matching together. Then give me the next picture and the next lesson. And so that's the way I wrote the book so that you could pick it up and just look at it, glance at it, read something quick and come away with something to think about. And we left the book in waiting rooms of physicians' offices. And people would, like there was this one girl once, and I feel like this is an important story to tell. There was this um, a physician's office where I had a friend who was a medical assistant. And we left the books in the office so that patients, when they were waiting to go see their primary care physician, could leaf through it. Maybe it would, maybe somebody would resonate with it. And this girl, 30 years old, came walking into the office and she said, here, I'm giving you back this book, gave it to this medical assistant. And she says, I stole this book yesterday from the office. And um, Brenda, the, the woman, knew, knew me and said to the girl, I'm sure Mike would want you to keep it. And the girl started crying in the, in the physician's office. And she took the book and she went home with the book. And Brenda let me know about the story. One thing led to another and we connected. And it's a woman with um, 15 years of severe eating disorder. And there was something in the book that told her that even though the book was primarily about alcoholism and addiction, it, it, it gave her a glimpse of hope that maybe somehow she could overcome this severe, uh, severe eating disorder. And I only lived part-time on Martha's Vineyard and she just got kicked out of her house because she literally ate all of the food, threw it up, and then her boyfriend had to throw her out because he couldn't afford her to have her anymore. That's how bad it was. And so I let her stay at the apartment in on Martha's Vineyard because I wasn't there for two weeks. I said, you can stay there for two weeks until I get back. And when I got back after two weeks, I walked into the apartment and every last bit of food that was in there had been eaten. None of it had been replaced and there was a plunger next to the toilet. And I knew right away what that was because she ate everything and purged and then sometimes clogged the toilet and had to clean it up. But the house place was a mess. And when I confronted her, I said, you broke all the rules. You know, you didn't replace the food. I get the whole eating disorder thing, but you have to be responsible. And, um, and so you have to leave. And it was hard to have tough love uh, in, in having her leave 
leave and find another place to start her, her new beginning. But long story short, because of that connection through the book, I also connected her with, um, with a therapeutic writing center that I was the president of. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I hate horses. I have no interest in being near a stupid horse. You know, I know I've been through a lot, but forget the horse thing. And, and somehow I got her there. And over the next six months, she connected with those horses to the point where she was working and volunteering 20 to 30 hours a week. And now uh, through that horse therapy, she's doing so much better with her bulimia and, and her whole eating disorder issue. I, I only, I mean, the story kind of gets off there, but I want people to understand that I'm a, I was like nothing. I was like, I suddenly wrote a book and I put some words in it that I didn't even know what I was doing because I'm not a trained writer and I'm not a trained photographer, but somehow it helped a woman with an eating disorder heal after 15 years of severe depression, alcoholism, and and um, and bulimia. And I sat back and I thought about that for a minute. And I said, you know what, you shouldn't even be there. I mean, I, I, I mean, I was I did never did anything for anybody when I was in the throes of alcoholism. The only reason I would give is to help with my taxes. I didn't want to I didn't care about anybody else but myself. And then suddenly, because I wrote a book, and this person read it, and I was able to touch one person's life. And it was the first feeling or knowing that I can make a difference just by being me. Um, and by, by telling the truth and by being authentic. And, and so I, I just didn't stop and I kept taking pictures and writing and pretty soon, you know, on Facebook now it's up to like 55,000 people. I have people that, come to see me from all over the world at my gallery they walk into the gallery because I do have to sell artwork because I have to live but they walk into the gallery someone from Australia this summer and she walked in and she just started crying when she walked through the door and I'm going like what do I do with this <laughs> what do I do with somebody who's just crying in my gallery and what it told me is that I connected with her in some way on this cold and impersonal medium called Facebook someone thousands of miles away read something that has to be attached to a picture the pictures have an energy or a power that I mean if I if I came like Eden if I came to you and I started looking through your phone all the pictures on your phone and you know they would have some power and meaning for you it might be the picture of your dog or something you may have had a moment where that gives you such joy going back and looking at that picture of your dog there's so much energy that attaches to a photograph and if you put the words that are honest are honest and truthful and they resonate with the person who's reading them that picture becomes theirs because it reminds them of a time when they felt the same thing and when someone walks in and starts crying, when they see you, it's hopefully not because you're, you know, because they didn't want to be there. Usually they want to say hi and hug and, and, uh, and, it, and then they'll let me know that what it was that 
help them either understand their own addiction, their own healing, or the healing and addiction of a loved one that they were trying to support or help. And it's almost like a spiritual place. And I thought I was just opening up a business and it ends up being like a meeting place. And it has so little to do with the photography, honestly. The photography is the, is the means, it is not the end. And it's been my way, there's two sides to it. It's my way of healing because I got to, I got to figure myself out through the pictures I was taking and by, and by paying attention to the feelings that I felt and writing them down. And then I realized that if I let people watch that, it would help them too. And so it's, it's become my mission. I wrote a second book called Through a Sober Lens, A Photographer's Journey. And I had maybe 200, 300 stories on Facebook with pictures. And people kept saying, you got to put these in a book. You got to put all the stories in the book. And we had to keep it to 100 pages. So I picked the 43 best stories with pictures and put them in there. And I wanted it to cover like a wide range of things. So it wouldn't just be for one perspective. Um, one of them that was probably the most meaningful one for me was called Intimacy and Alcohol. And it's the picture of, it looks like a shell, but it's really the inside of a lighthouse, but it looks like a nautilus shell, like you're curled up inside a shell. And I wrote the story of how when my wife left me, that I was devastated and I had never been with another woman in any way, shape or form sober, except for her. And suddenly she was gone and I had to face life with just me and no alcohol to hide behind. And dating and all those things was just scary as can be. And I always had to weigh, should I drink to make sure I can be as compatible as possible with this person on the date? And I said, if you drink, you're going to die. And so I had to force myself to figure out how to let people see the real me when only one person really knew who the real me was and she was gone. And when I wrote that short story, so many people related to it, especially people who have, who have, you know, lost their sobriety because of, of a desire to be close with someone. Um, and there's another story about, you know, people that had, meaning in your life by the small little gestures they did that helped save the day for me and and you know on and on and on and so what happened with the book which again i have no writing training and no photography training but we just won the book just won the ben franklin award by the independent book publishers association as the most inspirational story of 2020 and it was a, a total surprise but i was very very proud to see that you know, that by, it was funny back here on Martha's Vineyard, uh, there's a adult continuing education class and they saw that the book won the award uh, by the Independent Book Publishers Association. And they sent me a message and they said, Michael, would you like to teach the creative writing class here on Martha's Vineyard? And I just started laughing my head off. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I can't teach creative writing. I got a D plus on creative writing back in college. I said, the only thing I'd be able to tell your, your students is to talk from the heart because that's all that matters. And that's all that I do is just tell the stories right from the heart. 
And, and so, you know, and I guess there's one other point that I want to make, and I think this is important. When somebody like you, Eden, or, I mean, I've been tra trained as a speaker. I, I, in business, I was trained as how to speak in front of large groups. I, I don't get nervous getting in front of a microphone or, or groups anymore. But when I get a call from someone like you or any podcast or any, 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 any other thing, I have a gene inside my body that immediately says no. It immediately says I'm retract, retracting away. I, I have this introvert gene inside of me that I helps, I think helps feed the isolation for, for, um, for, for alcoholism and addiction. It, ne it needs that isolation to, to fester. And I actually have to take a step back and force myself to come out of that and say yes. And then once you move forward and you do and you talk and you speak and you help others who contact you, then you know that your life has meaning. And I think it's so important for people who are alcoholics and addicts that you don't have to turn turn away just because your initial reaction is to is to stay introverted i'm the same way and and i i know that by having a camera in my hand in some cases that's been the only thing that's got me out the door and in many cases uh, that camera when i get to a beach or somewhere else i bump into people and all kinds of stories happen all because i got out of the house and i went and i and i bumped into these people and then those stories became the whole the whole basis of all of the work that I do and it's been the most incredible thing that's ever happened and I I just sincerely wish and hope for others who are trying to find multiple there are multiple ways to get to sobriety and I just feel like in all of the places I actually got my master's in psychology um, back two years ago with a focus on substance use disorder and I feel like with all of the recovery methods, the one piece that's just not in there consistently is, is allowing a passion to guide you back to connection in life. And for me, you know, AA, other recovery groups have been, have saved my life. But for, but for me, the joy in my life comes from the connection that I've established through the art and through the taking of the pictures and the writing. And it's lifted me on some of my lowest nights. Uh, you know, I used to get home at night and just say, oh, it's five o'clock. I got to make it through till nine without drinking. And now I get home and I say, look at those clouds out there. And I'll grab my camera and run out the door and go take pictures. And it becomes my playground in the evening. It's no longer a, a place of, of disdain. And you can't, you can't buy that, you know. And so it, it's... It's just a, a means of, of connecting your soul to spirit through the, through the art of, of pictures and writing. And, and I guess in this village, my small piece of the contribution is to hopefully show by example how other people can follow the same, the same path. Wow. That, you know, your entire story is so inspiring. Everything, all the stories you just mentioned, you went so personal on every single story that I feel like whoever listens to this episode can relate to on in one way or another because we all have our life to deal with. And I think the biggest lesson that you've taught us here 
is that you really can change your life around. No matter how low you feel you've gotten, no matter how lost you feel or stuck or out of control you feel or broken that you feel in your life, you can really change that around. And like your story is proof of that. And I love that I brought you here as a guest literally a day before New Year's Eve because I mean, what better way to start a new year than to embrace change, to embrace this new, better you, being a better person. And everything you said just brings that together, that you can mend yourself and you can take your life back into control and create this magnificent life full of passion and love and happiness. Even when you just like, like you said, you were literally at the end of it. You were, at, you felt like you were at the bottom, right? And now look at you writing books, inspiring people, talking to pod, podcasters, even if you have to like force yourself to get out of that bubble, like you're here and you're doing it. And I feel like it's the biggest message for all of our listeners to end this year, 2020, leave that old self in the back and really start to embrace yourself flaws and all it's just who we are and growing to be the best person that we can be is learning to take that step forward no matter how scary it might be or how hard it might look just you know move into that space and allow yourself to feel comfortable with being uncomfortable absolutely absolutely and i and you know one one thing i want to say to people is that and my whole life was marked by to-do lists and goals. Like, you know, we're all taught that, okay, set up your goals for today, your long-term goals, your short-term goals, and what steps you need to take to achieve your dreams. And it's so funny that for the first time in my life, all, I mean, all of the goal setting led me to the point of wanting to die. I threw that away and I just started to listen to I mean, when people used to say to me, when you let go and you start to listen, messages come your way, I would say, <laughs> you know, right. That's a bunch of crap. That's just something you say to try to tell people who have lost all hope that there's actually a chance for hope. And, and um, I used to just laugh at that. But what happened to me is that I had no plan, no direction, no goals, and all I did was show up and I showed up with a camera in my hand and I started to get back to meeting people getting stories and the little you know when you like there's there's um stories out there like um Michael Singer who did the surrender experiment he decided for one year that he was just going to accept things came his way and instead of saying no he was going to say Yes. And he followed and he followed and he followed. And that's all I did. And there is a guided spiritual force. And if you believe it can, it can help guide you too. You just got to put your ear to the ground, ground and surrender to what comes your way. And it's an amazing experience. I love it. It's so amazing. And your story is, is so inspiring. Michael, can you give us your links um, to maybe have a website where to find your books, your platforms? Sure. Yep, you can find me the 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 book through a sober lens. There is no other title on Amazon but that one, but that but those words. So if you just if you just search on through a sober lens or fighting for my life on Amazon, the books are available there. 
My website is www.blanchardphotomv, mv as in marthasvineyard.com. And uh, feel free to reach out and um, I look forward to, I like to help folks from wherever they come from. So Awesome. We will definitely put it on the episode description so people can check it out um, and hopefully connect with you for the greater good. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining us and for helping us end this year in such a lovely way. Guys, it's the last episode of the year, one year to Mending Broken Beliefs, and we're so proud to be here, so proud to end it on such a high note, and can't wait to start the new year 2021 with such amazing, some more amazing episodes for you guys. So tune in, listen to it, download them, and don't forget to follow me and our lovely, lovely guests. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you for tuning in to Mending Broken Beliefs podcast and for joining me on the adventure of my life. I hope you found this episode to be enjoyable and valuable. To find out more about us, you can visit our website at edenbusani.com. If you enjoy this episode and feel others can benefit from it as well, spread the love by sharing.